This is just a regular old plain flower pot. And if I take this flower pot and paint some beautiful pictures on it or dress it up, it's still an old flower pot underneath. This is plain as it can be. And the Bible says, book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that we're all earthen vessels. In other words, a nice way of saying we're just a bunch of clay flower pots. And no matter how much we dress ourselves up, at the end of the day, we're still a flower pot. Now, if you take this flower pot and all of us go through life, we get some marks on us of different types. Some tough things happen to us in life, and they tend to mark us up. And then as we go through life, sometimes we have some of those traumatic experiences that are like taking a hammer to the flower pot and hitting it. And when that happens, we get chips off of us, and we get cracks in us and on us. And sometimes we can almost feel like the hits are going to be so hard that they're literally going to smash us to pieces. And again, the Bible says that we are like this flower pot. So what is the answer if we're just a flower pot? What's God got in store for us? What's He got in store for us this year? You see, the issue is not the flower pot. The issue is what's in the flower pot. And the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 that it is Christ in us. The hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And we're going to see what the Bible says about us with Christ in us. As God's old, worn out, maybe at times or sometimes impressive, flower pot. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. The background is that Paul the Apostle is writing to the church at Colossae. The church there was composed mainly of Gentiles. It was very ethnically diverse. This is one of what we call Paul's prison letters. It was written, we believe, from his Roman imprisonment, sitting in a Roman prison cell, awaiting to appear before the emperor. He writes this letter to the church at Colossae. Now, the reason he wrote to the church at Colossae is the church at Colossae had fallen into some very serious doctrinal era. In fact, Paul says that they had folks come in among them and literally sort of ravage them like wolves. And the false doctrine worked this way. It had two basic aspects to it. One of the aspects was it said that Jesus was not sufficient and Jesus was not supreme. In other words, you have Jesus, but then you have got angels and other entities that are above Jesus. And Jesus is one of these entities, but he's not the top one. The other heresy that was spreading through Colossae is that if you really wanted to have a relationship with God, and if you really want to get in on the knowledge of God, then you had to become part of a secret society, and you had to go through certain rituals and rites. And if you went through these rites and these rituals, then you would be let into this secret knowledge which would perfect you with God. And so Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, Hey, folks, you've got to understand something. Jesus 
Jesus is all sufficient. Jesus is all supreme. Jesus is the end and the beginning. Can't get any higher or better than Jesus. And you don't need to go through all of these different secret rites and ceremonies because Christ is in you. And because Christ is in you, He is the hope of glory that is within you. Now, Colossians and the book of Ephesians are like parallel roads going down beside each other. In the book of Ephesians, the believer is seen as being in Christ, and in Colossians, Christ is seen as being in us. I like to call it God's divine entanglement. Ephesians, you're going to see the term in Christ over and over again. We are in Christ. In Colossians, it talks about Christ being in us. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery, he says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now notice that Paul says in verse 27, To them God chose to make known how great among The Gentiles are the riches of His glory. Now, what is significant about that? Paul was a Jew, and as a Jew, Paul was raised with the understanding that all non-Jews, which were referred to as Gentiles, were essentially worthless and literally were created to be fuel for the fires of hell. That was the view that he was raised with. And so, for years and decades, and literally hundreds of years, the Jewish people did not look for the Gentiles to to come to the Lord or serve the Lord of anything. They just served as opposition. And what Paul is saying here is there was a mystery, and the mystery has been revealed, and the mystery is, in part, that God has chosen to go to the group of folks that everybody wrote off and thought they were entirely worthless, that God didn't love them, didn't care about them, Jesus just had no interest in them whatsoever, and God has chose them to bring His message and to love them and to share with them as well as with the Jewish people. In other words, folks who have rejected Him, ignored Him, and rebelled against Him, He came after them. Folks who were small and insignificant and didn't seem to have any power, God came after them. That is his, the mystery that He's referring to here. And folks, even though you and I All of us, at one time or another in our lives, have rebelled against God, turned our backs against God, haven't wanted anything to do with the Lord. He still loved us anyway. He still came after us anyway. His Son still bled and died for us anyway. Jesus didn't wait for us to get our act together before He went to the cross. He went to the cross when we didn't have our act together. He died for us when we rebelled against Him. And He rose from the dead even though we may have walked away from him. And we don't understand that kind of love, but we don't have to understand it in order to receive it and enjoy it. That's the mystery that he's talking about here when he talks about this mystery in this passage of Scripture here. Now it says that he's made known this mystery. The idea of the Greek word there is to know something by experience. In other words, God's not interested in you and I settling for an intellectual knowledge of Jesus Christ. I can stand up here and give you Jesus' biography Sunday by Sunday, but that's not what God's interested in. He wants you and I to experience firsthand who Jesus is. He doesn't want us to settle with a good biography about Jesus. He wants us to experience Him firsthand. So He says He's made it known so that you can experience Him 
firsthand. And what is that mystery? That Christ dwells in us, and that's the hope of glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 speaks directly to this and what I was talking about with us being that vessel, that flower pot that God dwells in. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to begin with verse 7. But we have this treasure, the treasure of who the Lord is and what He's doing in our lives. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying we're just a jar of clay. And at that, we may be a very unimpressive jar of clay. But the jar of clay that we are is not the issue. The issue is who's in the jar of clay. And he says that we have this treasure in the jar of clay. What is the treasure? The treasure is Jesus. By the person and power of the Holy Spirit, when we trust Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. So he's saying that Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit is inside of us. We have this treasure, and it's in what? It's in a jar of clay. So our calling is to focus not on the jar of clay, but to focus on what's in the jar of clay, and that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice it says that Christ is in you. He is The term Christ means the anointed one of God, empowered with the love of God, the power of God, the glory of God. It's also interchangeable with the term Messiah. Christ is in you. Now, let's follow this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay for what purpose? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. God chose to put you and me in a jar of clay. So that he could put his son in us. So that he and he only would get the glory. So, so many times we say, I'm so inadequate. And God says, yes you are. I made you a jar of clay. So I could get glory to myself through you. God is not interested in our ego. He is not interested in promoting us. The Lord is interested in promoting one person and one person only, and that is Jesus. How many times do we get bent out of shape with the Lord because He isn't moving us forward the way we want to be moving forward? He isn't making life the way we want Him to make life, but what He's interested in doing is simply glorifying who's in the jar of clay, and that's Jesus. That's all he's interested in doing. That's what he's going to be doing in us and through us. So the next time you say, I can't do this or I'm inadequate or I'm not up to the task or all the other reasons we come up for in life that we pull away from stuff, God says back to us, listen, I put you in a jar of clay and I know you're in a jar of clay and you know you're in a jar of clay, but the reason you're in a jar of clay is because this is supposed to be about Jesus being magnified and glorified, not you. Notice how he goes on. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Why could he say all of that? Because Christ is in him. You see, as you and I journey through life, we're going to get afflicted, but we don't have to be crushed. We're going to be perplexed, 
But we don't have to be driven to despair. In other words, we're going to go crazy and lose our mind. We're going to be persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're going to get struck down, but we're not destroyed. And why is that? Because of who's in us. It's not because of how strong I am. It's because of who is in me. Now, Satan is going to want to do several things with you and I to struggle with us in that point. Going back to Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think about that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means Jesus has chosen to take up residence in you and I as weak as we are, as sinful as we are, as messy as we are, as screwed up as we are. When I was a boy, my dad, and I'm going to go back in some automotive history here, okay? So bear with me. Some of you that got you know, my age or older will remember this. The rest of you can go home and, and Google it, okay? They used to have this vehicle out called a Renault. Any of y'all remember a Renault? Very few of you. All right, well, my dad <laughs> fell in love with this horrible-looking Renault. When I say horrible looking, I mean it was a mess. It was black, and the insides of it were falling to pieces, etc. But he found it out, in a, I guess it was a junkyard somewhere. And he decided that he was going to retool this Renault, and it was going to become his car. Because at that time, believe it or not, we were a one-car family. Some of you all can remember those days, those ancient days. So Dad gets this Renault, and he begins working on this Renault, and he begins putting this thing back together again. Now, follow me on this. The Renault ended up running. We had, it was our, his vehicle for quite a few years. It ended up looking really good because Dad was on the inside putting that thing together, working it, making it over, etc., etc. And you see, when Jesus walks into the junkyard of our lives, and he looks around, and he sees this screw-up, and he sees this sin, and he sees this place of rebellion and he sees all these places that we've walked away from him and done our thing and we made a mess of our lives Jesus walks into the middle of it and all of us have been there and all of us have done that all of us pulled junkyard time Jesus walks into the middle of that and what Jesus says is man this is a mess and I'm going to walk away from it Uh uh-uh he walks in and he says if you will let me I will start putting you back together If you will let me, I will begin to work on you. If you will let me, I will start putting the roof back together and get the engine running again and all of that. So that is that idea of Christ being in us. But this is what Satan wants us to do. The first thing he wants us to do is he wants us to focus on how messed up we are and not how much Jesus can do. So that we get just cued in as to how messed up I am instead of how much Jesus can do. If you go to a doctor and all you do is talk about how sick you are and you don't have any faith in your doctor, you're in trouble. But if you walk in and you may be sick, but if you've got faith in your doctor, you may be on the road to healing. See, when we walk in, we've got to say, Jesus has got the power. The first thing he's going to do is Satan's going to do is get us to focus on how messed up we are. The second thing that he's going to do is get us to focus on how inadequate we are as the clay plot. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I'm so messed up. Oh, I'm so inadequate, etc., etc. Look at your pot, he's saying. Look at your pot. Look at your pot. And we got to say back to the devil, uh-uh, I'm looking at what's in the pot. I'm not focusing on the pot. I'm looking at Christ in the pot. I'm looking at Jesus in me. That is where my focus is going to be. It's Christ in me who is the hope of glory. The final thing Satan's going to try to keep us from doing is seeing the value of Jesus. To seeing how awesome Jesus is. Now, 
I want you to imagine this pot has got a specific flower growing in it. We're going to bring it up on the screen. It's called aloe vera. Now, if you will look at aloe vera, it's not very impressive to look at, okay? Not impressive. Almost looks like a cactus. If you were decorating your house for an event, you probably would not decorate it in aloe vera, all right? Unless you hard up or something. But let me tell you about aloe vera. It is known, the gel of it is known to reduce skin inflammation. It is used to treat burns and cuts and infections. And it can also be used for digestive purposes to help regulate the digestive system. Aloe vera. You got aloe vera and you got digestive issues, maybe it have helped to you. You got a cut, you got a burn in your skin, it's got healing power. The issue is not the jar that the aloe vera is in. In fact, if you have a need for the healing powers of the aloe vera, you could care less what the jar looks like that the aloe vera is in. All you care about is the aloe vera. Folks, people could care less about how good we look and how good we sound. All they ultimately care about is do we have Jesus inside of us. This year, as we go out on various mission projects, the issue is not do we do the project right, how good do we sound while we do the project. The issue is just bringing Jesus with us and in us when we go to do the project or wherever God takes us. The second thing is you look at the aloe vera. It is not impressive because the power of the aloe vera is not in the beauty of the leaves and the stem and all of that. It's the power of the gel that is inside the aloe vera. Jesus to this world is not impressive. He never has been and he never will be. But our job is not to dress Jesus up and make him look good to the world. Our job is to get people in touch with the healing that is inside of him. You see, that's our task. I don't have to make Jesus up to be something that is acceptable to people. I just have to say this is who he is from the word of God. And he's got the power inside of him to heal what's inflamed inside of you. That is the idea of who he is when it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, what does it mean for him to be the hope of glory? If you look in your sermon notes, and I'm going to just fly through this very quickly, okay? You go home and you look through these scripture passages this week more in depth. First of all, the hope of glory means that the life of the Spirit of God is in us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. We have the work of the life of the Spirit working within us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Spirit of God dwells within us. Now, I've got a bunch of Ephesian passages. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, the hope of glory in us means that we are redeemed. The concept of redemption in that day meant that they had all these slaves, and if you wanted to buy a slave, you had to go out. The price was set, and when you bought the slave and the slave became yours, that slave was said to be redeemed. 
And the concept of redemption came from that. What does that mean for us? It means that Jesus bought us by His blood on the cross. He purchased us. We belong to Him. He has delivered us. He is delivering us. And He is going to deliver us someday into His presence in heaven. I have been redeemed. I am being redeemed. And I am living for that day of ultimate redemption. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, we've been given the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? To know Him. I don't understand how to understand this Bible. He's given us the Holy Spirit to understand this Bible. You and I say, well, I don't have the power understandably to live the Christian life. Of course we don't. We have been given the Spirit of God to empower us to live the Christian life. How can I get to know Jesus better every day? We've been given the Holy Spirit in order to know Him. How can we make good decisions? He's the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. He also convicts us of sin when we walk away from Him because of that. And let me say this to you. If you and I walk in sin and walk away from God and don't have conviction... We need to check on our salvation. Because if I do not feel any regret or remorse off of sin, then I don't know the presence of the Spirit in my life. Because the Spirit of God is always going to be working in me to convict me when I walk away from the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12, he gives us boldness and access with confidence in his presence. In other words, when I pray, he gives me boldness in prayer, and he gives me a sense of confidence when I come into his presence. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, we are strengthened with power in our inner man to know the fullness of his love. In other words, God wants you and me to know in the depths of who we are that we are loved by Jesus Christ. That we are in close relationship with Jesus. He is not satisfied with a surface relationship with us. He wants to go to the core of who we are. Because he wants us to know by experience at the core of who we are. That we are loved by him. Now I'm going to embarrass my wife for just a moment. Okay. Well we have been married for about 30 years. Okay. Now back when my wife and I got engaged. I thought I loved my wife and knew my wife and understood my wife and just couldn't get any better. Well, I can tell you after almost 30 years of married life, it's gotten better as the days have gone by, as the years have gone by, and that the decades have gone by, and it's so much better now than it was 30 years ago. Now, the reason I'm saying that is this, not just because I have a good dinner this afternoon after preaching that. I was joking. <laughs> Folks, so many of us think... Well, I got saved back on that day. And I got to wait to heaven someday, and it's going to be sweet when I get to glory. But how about all the time between when we trust Christ and when we get to heaven? It's not just time to sit back and say something good's coming. Every day, every week, every year, every decade is an opportunity to know Jesus more, to love Him more, and to be able to look back after a year of knowing Him and saying, He's closer now and I love Him more than I did a year ago. To look ten years from now and say, man, this journey over the last decade, I mean, I've experienced so much more of who Jesus is. To look twenty years from now and say the same thing. That's what God wants for you. That's what it means here. That's Christ in me, the hope of glory. That when I get out of the bed every morning, I know one thing for certain. I can know Jesus a little bit better than I did the day before. I can experience more of Jesus than I did the day before. And that takes us to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is, we're kept for Him. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Heaven is in our future. That's part of the glory of knowing Him. Now, how do we get in touch with that glory and live with the glory of Christ in us? Look at the screen. Prayer is the road to experiencing Christ in us, the hope of glory. Prayer, the very idea, seems audacious, revolutionary, full of wonder and mystery. An invitation to speak to God, to seek, to knock, to ask. Like a little child climbing into father's arms, Prayer is an intimate and personal experience. It's about opening your heart to a loving God, a good Father, the one who truly knows you and truly loves you. Prayer is trusting Him with your worries and fears, your hopes and dreams, your needs and desires. It's about carrying all life's burdens, big and small, before the throne of God and resting in the limitless peace of His extravagant grace. So pray without ceasing. Pray for each other as you would pray for yourself and praise Him for His faithfulness because there is power in prayer. This past Wednesday night, we gathered in here, this room and we prayed for one another and for our church and for God's work among us. One of our focuses for 2020 is going to be prayer. Starting this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to be in a video series, both a video and teaching and experiencing prayer. The video series is, features Jim Simula, who is pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, in Brooklyn, New York. There are a few churches that I'm aware of that God has used in such a powerful way, decade in and decade out, in that city and in our country. But God has used the Brooklyn Tabernacle because that is a church of prayer. Every Tuesday night, that congregation gathers for a church-wide prayer meeting, and they earnestly seek the face of God. And that church is filled with testimonies of people who've come out of drug abuse, and you name the backgrounds because God has delivered them, because they are a praying church. And we're going to be on a journey this year, and we will begin it in earnest on this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock in the choir room, of God making us as a people of prayer. Folks, if churches are built around personalities, when the personality is gone, the church collapses. If a church is built around a program, when the program is over with, then things come to a standstill. But if a church is a praying church and built around prayer, we never run out of the power of God. And prayer is the way to the power of God. And that's where we experience the hope of the glory of Christ in us. Also this year, we are going to be sharing and asking you to share the glory of Christ in you 
with other people. And we're going to give you lots of opportunities to do that, but I want to mention one in particular, and that is Vacation Bible School, which will be in July. Now, this year we're going to do Vacation Bible School a bit differently. We will open each night in this room with the children, young people, adults, etc., with Vacation Bible School music, and we'll have a great time doing that. Then the Bible School story for the night is going to be presented in the form of drama, and the reason we're using a dramatic format is because that connects well with children today and young people. And then we're going to split the kids up. And we're going to do the splitting up this way. We're going to ask you over these next few months to bring praying and thinking about helping to offer what we're calling different types of tracks each night. And those tracks will be built around different themes. And the kids will get to choose which track they want to take. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. If we have a sports track we're able to offer... It may be that we do basketball. That sports track is basketball all week. Or it may be that it's basketball one night and soccer one night and kickball another night, etc. And we're going to ask you if you've got an interest in sports and you'd like to work with kids in the sports track, then you can go that direction. And the kids that are interested in sports would do that. And then you would share Jesus with them in the context of doing that sport. Art may be a track. And so you may have, we might have one night of art, uh, photography as art, paper mache one night, whatever it happens to be. And you may want to go down that track, and, and we'll use that. That would be another potential track. I used an approach like this similar in my former pastor, and we had some real creativity that came out. I had a young lady in our congregation who had just graduated college, was headed to Auburn University uh, to pursue a doctorate in um, chemistry. She's now a professor at Rogan College. And she did a mad scientist track. And every night the kids did an experiment. Uh, we had a cooking uh, track where they cooked different things. That was one of my favorite ones. I made sure I got to that meeting every night to see what they were, were cooking and so forth. Um, I had a guy in our church there who uh, was in the Virginia Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, Tommy McMillan was his name. He did a wrestling track. He had a bunch of boys. They pulled out the mats every night, and he taught them wrestling moves. And saw some young men come to Christ that week using that wrestling track. I had an elementary-age teacher. She was a retired teacher in elementary school. She did a Play-Doh track. Each night they had a different color of Play-Doh, and they made something different with the Play-Doh every night. And we had like 12 or more of these little kindergartners in there just having a ball doing stuff with the Play-Doh and learning something about Jesus. Of course, we'll have dinner every night because you come to Bible school and you love to eat. But we're going to do these different tracks. And what we're going to ask you to do is to be thinking and praying about what track you would like to lead. It can be one night or it can be all week. And listen, the sky's the limit on what you, your interests are, what your skills are, etc. I had a group of uh, boys in uh, our Southampton Roads Mission Project in the neighborhood several years ago who were just wild. We couldn't figure out let's, what we're going to do with them. We did woodworking with them. We pulled them aside. And they went to a woodworking track each day. And we had a guy that taught them. And they made a bench. All week long, they worked on their bench. And it was fascinating to go in there. This guy would be in there, and he'd be teaching about how to work with wood and talking to them about Jesus while he was teaching them how to build out of wood. And he got an audience with them. We knew if we tried to put them in a room and lecture to them about a Bible story, we're going to have pandemonium. But sitting there while they were working on wood and teaching them about Jesus. So you think about whatever it is that God has placed in your life, your interest, your passion, what you enjoy doing. It could be fishing, I mean, whatever. And you figure out how you want to use it and how God can use it. And that's going to be the approach that we're going to use this year in Vacation Bible School. 
live the reality that Christ is in you and that he is the hope of glory. Let's pray.